Terrell. Welcome to the Manny Podcast, episode 33. Good morning, Terrell. Morning, Philly. Well, starting chapter two of DC, discussion number one, Gospels of Sin Management. Stick with us. You're going to love it. It's going to be hot. The foundational flaw in the existence of multitudes of professing Christians today is the sensed irrelevance of what God is doing and what makes up their lives. They have been led to believe that God, for some unfathomable reason, just thinks it's appropriate to transfer credit from Christ's merit account to ours and to wipe out our sin debt upon inspecting our mind and finding that we believe a particular theory of the atonement to be true even if we trust everything but God in all other matters that concern us. Mm. That's where we're starting today. Uh, and if that's uh, any indication of where this is going, folks, you're probably going to uh, quickly realize that, you know, this is this is going to be kind of a heavier podcast, I think. Yeah. Um, Judging by conversations that we've had with other people about such things, this is going to be a heavier podcast. It's going to be a heavier podcast because there's just not a lot of really awesome things to discuss (laughs) about the deceptions that have happened for a really long time, especially as long as you and I have been alive. Yep. And that quote, rewind and listen to it again if you need to. But that quote is 100% true. 100% true. So I wanted to start off with that. Um, And I also want to try and tell you where this is going so that we can properly break down this chapter. But... And you could tell me if you agree with me, Terrell. But I think that, I think this is what Willard is doing here. Willard is using this chapter to speak specifically about those who would profess to be Christians out there in the world at large. And why the things, why their lives look the way they they look. So he's trying to explain why there are professing Christians out there who have lives that are, you know, not very good. Yeah. And so he's thought through these things and used his, uh, you know, his intellect and giftings to give us two reasons why. And those two reasons happen to be thus. Number one, what is being preached from the pulpits all over the nonprofit organizations formerly known as the church is what Willard would call gospels of sin management in one form or another. And then number two, the disappearance of Jesus as teacher. Yes. Those are the two reasons. Would you agree? Yes. Sweet. With that being said, that, that's what we'll be talking about today. We're going to be discussing first 
the state of things as they out as they are out there just giving some examples of of from our past and some even some unfortunately some present events yeah no naming of the names or anything like that but just uh, of the kind of the sad reality that is the uh the state of professing christians <laughs> lives and it's you know man like it's honest to god kind of a it's just a it's hit me pretty hard the last yeah well it's, it's one, a pretty mournful it's thing. like we've been saying for years you gotta laugh or cry like there's it's it's one of the two you know yeah it is that state you know it's that's a it's officially where it's at for um 98 percent yeah of uh, professing christian people yeah um yeah and the reasons why again gospels of sin management and the disappearance of Jesus as our teacher. How do you explain the fact that, and I'm going to, I'm not, again, I'm not going to name any names, but anybody out there right now, like, just go, just type in to a Google or whatever your favorite search engine is, like, Christian pastor controversy. Oh, God. And you'll find too much you'll find all you ever want to know um i was looking at one in specific because it just kind of like you know and i heard about this two three days ago yeah but um it's this well-known again i'm not going to name names a well-known quote unquote christian i like how willard says professing christian i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna steal that yeah Instead of like saying Christian in air quotes, yep. these from now on I'm going I'm going if I don't know for sure, I'm yeah, just gonna say professing it's, Christian. It's it's a better it's better. So this uh kind of famous professing Christian person um out there turns out not a very good fellow. There was a news article of Kind of what this guy was out there doing while professing to be a Christian. Um, turns out the guy was basically a sexual predator and would lure and do whatever he could do to um, get girls to come back with him while he was on tour doing these professing Christian things. Yeah. Um, the one thing, and this is a direct quote from one of his victims. I'm going to leave out names. The one thing that stopped me from believing that he was creepy is so-and-so proudly charades his face as a Christian, she said. I've let myself believe that just because someone is a Christian means they won't do something intentionally bad. This is a direct quote from this young lady that got hurt. <laughs> Freaking gold. Like a quote from like yeah. two, three weeks ago. Yeah. So this is not old news. Yeah. But the truth is, so-and-so invited me to his apartment with the intention of sleeping with me after shaking hands with my boyfriend. Hmm. The ordeal left this young lady emotionally devastated and still two years later spiritually shaken. She says she struggles with what it means to be a Christian. After being so disgustingly let down by a role model, I considered to be a man of God. Mm. 
Another young lady who was assaulted by this guy. Oh, okay. We got a we got a lineup, huh? Says, I haven't been to church in years. It's hard. It's hard to go into a place where you know what people know, where you know that people know things that are going on, and they never do anything about it. Because they just list it as bad behavior. Mm. <laughs> or something that someone can just be forgiven of. Yeah. And then it's over. You can't make this up. Mm-mm. You haven't even gotten to the bumper sticker theology. <laughs> oh, God. And it's not fine. No. Even when you forgive someone, it's important to go back and make restitution and to change your ways and to change your behavior. Yeah. It's really hard to even consider participating in a community and a body of believers that would allow such behavior to unfold unchecked and to give it a platform. Yeah. No, I don't consider myself a Christian anymore. I have no ill will toward the church. I don't have bitterness there. I think a lot of people are really earnest in what they believe, and I respect that, but I want to be able to respect it more. Mm. She put some pretty good points out there. Yeah, she did. And the man himself who participated in these acts is now currently in... He is now currently in uh, rehab... Because he is a, uh, he refers to himself as a sex oh, addict. Oh, of course he does. He's a, he's a sex addict. So. Had to go and rehab. Yeah, there you go. <sighs> There's a problem there, right? There's a problem there. Now, time, it gets away from us. It does. Because honestly, we could go on and on and on. Yeah. There are very, very, very many examples of this. Yeah. Of this type of thing where, you know, professing Christians just aren't really good people. Yeah. A lot of them just aren't, you know. Yeah. It's a charade. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, uh, again, we won't name names here, but just for example's sake, it's not all just sexual stuff. Um, a lot of it is. A lot of it is, shockingly. But uh, that uh, mutual friend of ours whose friend up in the uh, the panhandle area who, uh, well, his just so happened to be sexual, too, it turns out. Remember, he was soliciting prostitutes. And this was the guy that was uh, um, supposedly, like, did all of this, like, ministry stuff, like, powerfully. Like, used to, you know, like, lay hands on kids and, like, they would be healed and, like, demons would come out of them and stuff like that. And, uh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. Again, we won't name names, but, like, that was what he did, right? He got picked up by the police department for... Yeah, prosties. For prosties. Dude. So, I mean, you know, it just... uh, What are we going to do with that, right? Well, the interesting thing is that is... I mean, yeah. It's basically not the exception, you know, like... Yes. I think 
I think a lot of comfort has been found in saying that's the exception to the rule. Well, no, like it's not because we know. Well, I mean, you as listeners, the three of you, you can probably think of. Yeah. You can probably think of 10 people really easily that you're like, yeah, like if you were actually looking for a life that is unexplainably transformed other than like a gospel, like a story of like a, like a God who loves and a kingdom that is able to rescue and Jesus who leads the way to that kingdom. Um, and like their life actually looks differently. You can probably think of way more people that have no transformation there um, than you can of people who look like they live a godly life. Not one of like law and restriction, but one of like free, yes. like freeing, Fruits of wholehearted, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, you know, uh, yes. those things. It, like their life looks like it because of like a transforming process in their life. Um, most of us don't know many people that way. Just don't. And so we outsource it to rehab or X-ray Well, and that's the, or... and that's the thing, like it's, um, this part is uncomfortable to talk about and it, and it's going to sound to anybody who doesn't know you or I. Yeah. Like we're sitting on a high horse here. Yeah. And well, it's going to sound like we're throwing stones, yeah. but this is, this is necessary so that we can, because again, we're discussing the divine conspiracy by Dallas Willard, the book. Yeah. And you've got to bring out these, he says, these shocking statistics. Yep. And he goes into some statistics that I don't really think we need to go into because you can read the book. Just wanted to bring it a little closer to home because we all know these people. Yes. Every one of us. Yes. Um, heck, people that come to my mind right off the bat are really close to me. Yeah. Like real close. Yeah. And I've wondered about how to explain their daily life for my entire life. Right. And this chapter just pretty much sums up exactly why it's possible yes. for somebody to profess to be a Christian person and be a sexual predator. Yeah. This chapter explains why it's possible for somebody to profess to be a Christian and get married seven or eight times. Yeah. Yeah. And say they know what love is. Yeah. It's possible yep. to do all of these things, to profess to be a Christian and have nothing but anger and contempt in your heart for everybody else and treat people like crap. Yeah. This chapter explains how that's possible. Um, and we'll have to move on to the next yeah, there's, segment here. There's so much. But we could go on and on and on. There's plenty of examples. Yeah. We were a part of a church in which, uh, in which there was wife swapping going on yep. for a while. Yep. Part of a church building where people were swinging. I mean, how is that possible? Dude, and not like well, you know the what? good swinging at like a playground. Yeah. <laughs> right. I think everybody out there understood what I meant by well, swinging. just so you guys know. Yeah, Terrell cleared up the fact that we weren't talking about recreational fun swinging. swinging. Yeah. yeah, which is enjoyable. Um, no, but we'll have to stop there to move on because Willard explains and we're going to explain how it's possible. What is sexual rehab? 
Yeah, I don't know. And the and the shocking thing to me about that, buddy, was that he said explicitly in his explanation. Yeah. Was, I've checked into rehab. I'm a sex addict. I take full responsibility for what I've done. And I'm seeking a way to be free from my sin. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty big big disconnect isn't there yeah pretty solid and but you know what man that dude is a product of a gospel of sin management sure is so congratulations stick with us we're gonna go there next we're back so willard poses a what he calls subversive thought yeah he writes suppose our failures occur not in spite of what we were doing, but precisely because of it. Hmm. What a noble, novel Nouvelle. thought. Yeah. He gives examples of the lamentations of pastors asking, why is today's church so weak? Yeah. Why are we able to claim so many conversions, enroll many new church members, but have less and less impact on our culture? Why are Christians indistinguishable from the world? You know what this made me remember? You know the very beginning of that of the uh, the DC Talk song. Which one? What if I stumble? What if I fall? Mm-hmm. You know he's like the leading cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge who yeah, but they don't Christ with their mouths and yeah, exactly. Yeah. I remember always being like. Even from like a young age, being like, yeah, it's freaking true, isn't yep. it? Now, nobody has an excuse. And we'll get into this later yeah. about how the fact that like you can't you can't look at other professing Christians and their failures and follies and be like, well, that means God doesn't exist. Because like we talked about before, yep. the kingdom of God is everywhere. Yep. And uh, it overarches everything. It so is not shaken by That's not things. what we're talking about. Yeah. But this is what Willard starts off by saying. Should we not at least consider the possibility that this poor result is not in spite of what we teach and how we teach, but precisely because of it? Might that not lead to our discovering why the power of Jesus and his gospel has been cut off from ordinary human existence, leaving it adrift from the flow of his eternal kind of life? Yes, it would lead to that. If we, uh, if we considered that that was why this was happening. Willard makes some bold but true observations in this chapter about the condition of the church in America in our day. It would be foolish to expect anything else from Christians today other than what we've got. That's what he's saying. It's, it actually makes a lot of sense, Willard says, why uh, it would be foolish to expect anything else from Christians today other than what we've got. Why? Because the condition of the church today is the natural consequence of the message of the church as it is heard today. (laughs) We who profess Christianity will believe what is constantly presented to us as gospel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're getting exactly the natural consequences of the message that is being constantly proclaimed to us. Mm-hmm. And I think that that young lady in her interview with uh, that magazine telling about the story that occurred to her, 
Summed it up great. Oh, well, Christians Pretty are well. forgiven, but... Not perfect. They're crazy. Like, they're not good people. Yeah. How do you change your behavior? If you go back to the very first, first chapter. chapter, right? The young lady at Harvard who was getting propositioned for sex. And this is in a secular campus. They didn't value profess that. to be Christian people right. by any means. But she was saying the same thing. How is it possible for you to make a, a an A in a moral reasoning class? When you are not a moral reasoner by default in You your can life. take the test and make a hundred. Yep. But then you can you can constantly pressure me to have sex with you while I'm cleaning your dorm room. Yeah. And then make fun of me and belittle me when I don't. Yeah. Based upon where I grew up geographically. Yeah. Like, yeah, these are good questions, people. Yeah. So what is constantly being preached to us today as the gospel? Willard says it's called sin management. And there's... A theological right yes, and a theological left. Just for helpful purposes, he uses that yep. term. And we're going to start off with a theological right. Sweet. How about it? Yeah, I like it. So, history has brought us to the point where the Christian message is thought to be essentially concerned only with how to deal with sin, with wrongdoing or wrong being and its effects. Life, our actual existence, is not included in what is now presented as the heart of the Christian message, or it is included only marginally. That is where we find ourselves today. The faith being professed has little impact on the whole of life itself. Mm. So, Gospels of Sin Management on the right. He points out some interesting things here. I love how he says that you can walk into any Christian bookstore or any of these places, find these trinkets... And the slogans and the bumper stickers and the bookmarks and the coffee mugs will essentially say to the effect that Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. The slogan communicates exactly what the essential message of the gospel of sin management for the right is. It's about forgiveness alone. Multitudes of people who sincerely self-identify as Christians believe that their faith in Christ brings them forgiveness, but it does not bring a difference to their lives regarding character formation. I, this was me, man. Like this is where I grew up. Yeah. You can testify to yours in a, in a minute and understand because my wife sort of was like, you know, she had a little bit of a different little bit of a different background than I did who grew up at a Baptist church but for me it was 100 this is my story like 100% it was Jesus died on the cross for your sins yeah so that you can go to heaven when you die 
Yeah. So, the death of Jesus on the cross gives me forgiveness. And because that has happened, if I believe in him, my sins are forgiven and I'll go to heaven when I die. That was the gospel. And I remember distinctly being like, okay, so... So what about like the time in between? Because I'm not just going to heaven right now. Right. And I remember it was always, well, you know, he's forgiven you of your sins. So like past, present, future sins, you can just like, just, you know, just kind of live your life and, and, um, you know, you'll be forgiven. Yeah. There's never like an explanation as to, well... So that's it, huh? Like I just, I go to heaven when I die and I'm forgiven of sins. I believe in Jesus. Okay. Well, that's great. I mean, do you have any other experience in that? I mean, was yours a little bit different? Were yours more on the left than the right? I mean, mine was 100% the right. Yeah, no. Yeah, buddy. I I don't, I, I definitely didn't grow up like in the like social you know, yeah. Like Christians aren't perfect; yeah. just committed to social justice, right? Definitely, definitely. Which we'll get to in a minute. It's definitely gonna be. It, it would definitely be more on the right than the left for sure. Yeah. So, in fact, I remember, I remember a friend. We were, we were, you know, we were at at, at church camp one year, and uh, and we were we were like. Dude, I couldn't tell you because this was a long time ago, but we, we were doing something, something real, you know, that for me was really intense at the time, you know, gospel stuff. And I remember he, he, it was like, it was a bait, it was like at, at nighttime, if I remember right. And he was like, Hey, let's go play. And I was like, well. Like, I was not in the mood for playing. I was like, man, there's like, there's serious things happening here, you know? But he was like, dude, we did, like, we did that stuff. Now let's go play. And I was like, and I remember thinking even at however old I was at this story, like, there's an issue there. Like, how do you, like, how do you just shift from one to the other? And like, they are now, like, I remember thinking, okay, these are separate. Yeah. You know? And, like, obviously this kid is clearly not, like, a theologian, like, trying to lead me astray or anything like that. Like, he, he was just representing what, what he knew, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. And, um... Quite faithfully. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, I was like, oh, okay, let's go play, <laughs> let's go play. You know, but the, uh, but that is the, like, that is the exact representation, you know? Yep. Like, okay, we took care of salvation, let's go play. You know, and, yeah. uh, yeah. And yeah. so, um, not a bad, no, nah, it's actually it like all. the idea, uh, is summed up in that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, so it's our professed faith, faith has little impact on the whole of life. Mm-hmm. It's particularly true in the realm of the personal integrity of believers. The basic message we hear from the Christian pulpits are it's in management. Like, it's tr- it's a horribly truncated gospel most of us have heard our entire lives. Yeah. Um, the essence of the gospel 
is that, as proclaimed by gospel sin management, yeah, forgiveness of individual sins, and this leads to an individual's readiness to die and face the judgment of God. Yeah. Like, that's the essence of it. Yes. So if you got those squared away, hey, go play. Yep. Right? Yep. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And for the right, this is what is the, this is what is essential to belief. This view reduces the gospel to an arrangement. I thought this was great. Yes. Like, when Willard hits this, this is so important. I love his wording. The gospel is reduced to an arrangement between God and mankind for sin remission set up through Jesus. Saving faith is one that trusts in this arrangement. Yes. Jesus is our guilt remover. The gospel is that Jesus has made an arrangement that will get us into heaven when we die. In this way, the Christian message is thought to be only concerned with how to deal with sin. It is a gospel of sin management. You are forgiven from all your sins due to this arrangement for sin remission God gave to mankind through Jesus. Sin is still present and powerful. Although you are, for, you are never going to be perfect, you're very, 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 very forgiven. Yeah. So sin's still present, but if you trust in this arrangement that God gave you, that sin that's still present in your life won't keep you out of heaven when you die. Yeah. That's the gospel. Yep. And of course, this is not what Jesus and his apostles taught. No. You know? And what does this end up being? This ends up leading to, I just kept, I just wrote this down, man. Our life story becomes one of sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent, sin and repent. On and on and on and on and on. Yeah. And Willard asks, is this the life and life abundantly that Jesus came to give? So question, everybody. Where the only essential is forgiveness? No, it's not. No, it's not. And and I think that you even said it however old you were. In that moment, you were like, what? Yeah. Like initially there was a check there. Like that can't be it. Yeah. Like I can't just now I just go play. Yeah. Like there's got to be more to it than this. And, and that's the point, folks. Like you get the current state of things today. And all of these professing Christians still hurting people, sleeping with people, doing all this stuff that is essentially just godless. Yeah. Reason why? Number one, what's being preached constantly is that your individual sins are forgiven. You're going to go to heaven when you die if you trust in the arrangement God made for you. Yes. And it's a rain, may, uh, uh, an arrangement of sin removal through Jesus. But that is not the truth at all. It's not the truth. Christians are forgiven. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. That's the bumper sticker of the right. When we come back, we'll talk about the left. We'll move on from there. Stick yeah. with us. And before moving on to the theological left, this actually might be really long podcast it's going to but it's okay because it's necessary necessary so before <laughs> we move on to the left i've got to hit one aspect of the theological right that uh, is so absolutely spot on it's worth saying but willard actually talks about this thing he calls barcode faith yeah is this not the perfect analogy yeah yeah it's the perfect analogy for what we're what like 
what you're seeing around you from professing Christians. In fact, like, don't take this personally, but it might be true of you as well. (laughs) Because it was definitely true of me for a very long time. Yeah. Um, And this is, when you teach a gospel of sin management, where there's an arrangement that God put in place with mankind through Jesus for the removal of sins, so that upon death, they may go to heaven when they die. The implications of that are what Willard says, barcode faith. Yeah. Right? So, you're in a store, and you grab an item. Give me an item. Cereal, your favorite thing in the world. Cereal, God. Amen. So, Terrell... I don't go down that aisle very So, Terrell goes down the, the cereal aisle, and he grabs his favorite cereal, which is... Your favorite cereal today. You shouldn't make me choose such things. We'll say Frosted Flakes. Let's say Frosted Flakes with marshmallows. With marshmallows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, go on. Okay. Now, Terrell's got the box of Frosted Flakes with marshmallows. Or. And he's going to go to the checkout aisle to check out. Well, whenever you're checking out, you've done this several thousand times, people. (laughs) You scan the barcode. And up on the screen pops what that item is. So, this is what happens whenever somebody believes in a gospel of sin management. Is they believe that their box of who they are as a person gets a new barcode. And that barcode is the kind that when God scans it, says forgiveness says forgiven they're forgiven and it doesn't matter at all what's inside you know yep and it would be that that barcode alone is the thing that saves them yes you got to have this barcode so in this view faith in christ becomes for a person what a barcode is for a product in a grocery store god is the cashier who scans the barcode upon death the barcode is all that matters. The character of the person on whom the barcode rests isn't changed by the presence of the barcode. Yes. God scans the barcode and forgiveness floods forth. Yes. An appropriate amount of righteousness is shifted from Christ's account to our account and the bank of heaven. And all our debts are paid. We are accordingly saved. Yes. The payoff for having faith and being scanned comes at death and after... Life now being lived has no necessary connection with being a Christian as long as the barcode does its job. Yeah. I mean, is that not perfect? Yeah, that is as perfect as it gets. Now, the question is, has God established a barcode type of an arrangement? Yeah. Is this how it works? No. If it is, so if this is the actual arrangement, people, then what you see around you makes total sense, right? Yep. You got a lot of people out there who are like, no, 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 I got the barcode. So, like, I'm good. I'm good to go. Yeah, well, like like he says, widespread acceptance of this interpretation of salvation within the evangelical and conservative churches of North America is what has produced the situation sketched earlier in which those who profess Christian commitment consistently show little or no behavioral and psychological difference from those who do not. Exactly. 
Multitudes of people who sincerely identify as Christians believe that their faith in Christ brings them forgiveness, but it does not bring a difference to their lives regarding their character. That is the dangerous implication of the Gospels of Sin Management. Can we seriously believe that God would establish a plan for us that essentially bypasses the awesome needs of present human life and leaves human character untouched? Can we believe that? Can we possibly believe that? Well, the problem is is that there's multitudes of people that do. Yeah, well, and man, this is such a hard thing. This is such a hard one to talk about because it's so real. Yeah. And it's so, like, there's, well, listen, listen, I, Linda, <laughs> look, <laughs> look, this is an easy thing to talk about because it is so observable. And we, and so many people really, really hate it when you talk about this stuff. Oh, yeah. Because most people are living this life. That's the only thing I can figure out. Because, like, there's so much pushback on this. Well, think about it. That if it you is push crazy. Back, like, if you push, I don't mean to interrupt you, but yeah. if you push back against this, you're pushing back on their gospel. Yeah, you are. Like, don't take, no, you're, that's. Yes. I mean, that's, you know what no, I mean? No, it this is. This is everything that this, I built my life yeah, on. So you if, can't do that. So if you're listening to this, and this is legitimately insulting to you. Yeah, like, there's a, there's a reason for that. Um, and, like, it's not you, good. you can judge that by one of two things. Like, either A, this is all a lie. And we are literally out to get you. And Jesus was really <laughs> literally out to get you. Because that, like, you can't read the New Testament and not get this. You yes. know, like, you can't read the New Testament and not see that this life is supposed to lead to the fruits of the kingdom of God in your life now. Yes. You can't see anything other than that. And you can't interpret it. And so... Well, and remember from the last podcast, I mean, Jesus proclaimed yes. the kingdom of God being at hand. And yes. that's the reason why we should reconsider the way we're Correct. living. Because like, it's here, it's now. He came to establish the kingdom of God among us. Yes. And so don't, don't have, like, if there's pushback, man, pursue that. Like, and if, like, if Jesus is the king of all things and he's alive right now, which he is, just ask him, why there's pushback in your soul about this. And if it's our presentation, then forgive us. Like, and we still are men who are becoming better, like becoming kingdom men. Like, and we are forgiven. And like he says, that ne- that is well, necessary to say. I was going to say, we're going to get, yeah. And we're going to get a little, the, where, little, like what you can, yeah. what you can keep and what you need to get Getting rid of. a little of, ahead of myself here. But the point is, is like, if you're wanting to be a better husband, if you're wanting to be a better father or mother or wife or, employee or boss or any of these things and you're not seeing a change in your life because of the gospel then it's the wrong gospel amen otherwise it should be changing like it and that doesn't mean it's going to be perfect but it should be being better daily yes and if it's not it's not the gospel no it's the gospel of sin management yes anyway i gotta say that because no you should and again just to, to hit this again like the heartrending consequences of this is that folks believe Jesus becomes a barcode for them. <clears throat> and when the barcode is scanned by God, forgiveness and the appropriate amount of righteousness will show up on the screen regardless of the contents of their heart. Yeah. Okay, is that clear? Barcode faith, yeah. That's a barcode type of understanding of, of salvation. 
But are we to suppose that God gives us nothing that really influences character and spirituality? Jesus. Like, is that, is that what we're to suppose? Because that's what this gospel is teaching you. Barcode faith becomes a marketing gimmick. Well, and I People can... begin to wonder if the Christians who advertise the gospel are actually consuming what they're selling. Mm-hmm. You know? And he, and he talks about that, like, all, I, I think this every time, every single time I see um, those commercials during a football game where uh, the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, Dak Prescott, those Campbell's Chunky Soup commercials, I'm like, yeah. there's no way that guy eats Campbell's Chunky Soup. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's definitely not consuming what he's selling. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing. Like, you can think of any sort of number of celebrities who are marketing something that they have no business, they have, they have nothing with. Yeah. They're just there because they're a face that people recognize and they're being used to sell a product. Right. And, and he uses that type of, a, of, an, of an analogy to say, like, if you look at the widespread moral failures and problems among those who make up the church, like, more than likely, perhaps, they're not eating what they're selling. Correct. Because you, know? you like, would be becoming better. Exactly. More than likely... Transformation. Like, and this is what you're pointing out. More than likely, what they're selling, it's irrelevant to the real gospel. Yes. And to real existence in the kingdom of God. Because what they're selling is no power over their daily life. Correct. Therefore, that alone proves the, the, the inadequacy of it and the actual fact that it's not the gospel at all. Yeah. So take heart that, you know, if you're upset about that, you probably should be. And if you're rejecting that, good. You're rejecting a false gospel. Yep. You're not actually rejecting the gospel, which, yep. you know, in all the podcasts we're going to come later, we'll talk all about what it actually is. Yes. But in other words, to wrap up this little portion, yeah. if God doesn't change things for people at a heart level, like what's the significance of faith in Christ? Yeah. There's, yeah. Why should we sell the gospel if it isn't worth buying? Mm-hmm. Like it, it, Willard gives some examples of, of like anonymous Christian leaders who no longer believe that Jesus is able to change us. He gives those little examples. You can read those in the book. Like mm-hmm. one of them had to redefine his understanding of what change meant. Yep. He and that that one individual suggests a change um that makes a person a Christian, whatever that change means, may be totally undetectable. Only God's scanner can detect it. Apparently that's the uh, Christian reality now, and and I just I I asked a question like, are you confused yet? <laughs> like you should probably be confused. So God's in, God only changes in an invisible way, right? That only He can detect. Like, isn't that confusing? Like, so only God is able to detect what saving faith is. Yes, you know, and yeah. and you better hope and pray that you got the right barcode. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you know. Yeah. And that's just, that's not true. We had to hit that. I, I was yeah. going to overlook it's, that. And that's a super, crucial part. Yeah, it's super important. So now the, the left one's not going to take very long, but that's where we're going to go next. So stick with us. Yeah. So there's a gospel of sin management that's also proclaimed on the theological left. <clears throat> Their bumper sticker would read, Christians aren't perfect, just committed to liberation or what I'm going to say is social justice. Mm-hmm. Um, the essentials of the theological left of saving faith is that you're a Christian if you have a significant commitment to the elimination of social evils. 
Faith in Christ has been reduced to the management of sin in the form of social evils. Okay? So, that's the point. I have another article I read that's from a few days ago. Okay. Okay, I like this. That um, there's a certain uh, organization that if I named, everybody would know who it is. It's been around for hundreds of years. That is a quote-unquote Christian organization that um, was... was uh, likes to advertise their name and everything around the holiday season. You could probably know who I'm talking about. Probably. In the form of, uh, of uh, red kettles. Anyway, they were called out by a, by a pop star, like a singer, saying that she wouldn't perform at, a, at the halftime game of a football, like the halftime show of a football game, unless this organization renounced their stance on LGBTQ um, rights. And of course, they did. The, uh, the organization said, oh, well, we've never ever been people who, like, don't recognize the rights of LGBTQ people. Like, um, that's never the case at all. Our, our whole motto is that we serve everybody all the time, no matter what, kind of a deal, you know? Mm-hmm. And the point here, the principle is, yeah. like, and, and there went into much depth, but like, oh, like, if you're a Christian, like, Christian people are committed to social justice. Like, you're never, a Christian never discriminates. A Christian never does anything like that. What defines a Christian is... Their commitment to the management of sin in the form of social evils. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's very simple. That's the theological left. A lot of you may have heard that, you know. Um, feed the poor. Do all these different things. You uh, love, you know. Mm-hmm. All of this all of this kind of thing. Um, the gospel is that God himself stands behind equality Liberation. This is what the theological left believes that Jesus died to promote these things, and that He lives lives on in all the efforts and tendencies favoring those things. It is a social ethic of inclusivism with no direct connection or reliance on God or a living Christ. A Christian is one who identifies with and loves oppressed people and those who are different, just like Jesus did. That's the definition of a Christian. So, again, this doesn't matter who you are, right, at all. Yeah. It just matters that you identify with and try to eradicate social evils. Right. Okay? <clears throat> and Willard points out a few problems with this. Like, we're just supposed to love, right? Like, yeah. That's the whole point. Well, But what constitutes redemptive love is this question. Like, what's its precise nature? Like, in this world, there are many things called love. Yeah. Like, how are you, how are you able to identify, like, what is what? And that's this whole point. Um, this theology robs its followers of a transcendent God that personally engages with humanity while holding them responsible to his specific directives on how to live. The love God, Willard says, becomes a God created in man's image and according to his ideals. And this is nothing but the simple destruction of the truth of the accessibility of God through Christ. It destroys the fact that Jesus is alive and stands in an interactive relationship with those who rely on him. The gospel becomes reduced 
to concerns of social evils and structural evils and what to do about them. And as a result, it just becomes another gospel of sin management. Yeah. All you're doing is reducing what Jesus accomplished to identifying with the marginalized and those like that. And it doesn't matter who you are at all. You're a Christian and you're identified as a Christian by your 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 actions specifically towards eradicating social evils. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yep. And I'm sure we could probably um you could probably do a Google search right now of like, I don't know, the most social justice you know, quote unquote Christian out there and probably find articles about how they're sleeping around or something like that. Yeah. So it really doesn't matter. So the current gospels of the left and the right exhibit the very same type of conceptual disconnection from and practical irrelevance to the personal integrity of believers. Both <laughs> both like any essential bearing upon the individual's life as a whole, especially upon occupations or work time and upon the fine texture of our personal relationships in the home and the neighborhood. The very content of these Gospels of Sin Management is what leads to a life of practical irrelevance for those who profess them. At all points of the theological spectrum, sin is bipartisan and commonly crass. Meaning you're going to find it everywhere, folks. Sin's still the problem. Who we are on the inside is still the problem. Yep. Faith in Christ for daily life is irrelevant. Or, worse, it's powerless. Mm-hmm. Yep. Here's my question. When's the last time you ever associated Christianity with power? When? Right. There you go. That's rhetorical. You can think on that one. Once again, overall abundance of life and obedience to moral standards that we all know to be valid have no inherent connection to the Gospels of Sin Management. None. They don't have a connection at all. And this is what he's saying, folks. Like, look at, like, I don't know. If you want to, let's talk about the social stuff. Uh, do you have to be a Christian to do that? Yeah. No. Right. You don't. Nope. You don't. Bill and Melinda Gates. Yeah. What are they doing? All this money, they're just out in Africa, you know, they're building wells. They're doing things that Christians are doing. Like, what's the difference? Yep. It's a good question. Solid question. What's the difference? What is the difference? And if you looked at everything today, you would probably be tempted to be like, well, there is no difference. And you know why there is no difference? Because the, the, the number one problem, and the first problem Willard points out, is that what is being constantly preached are gospels of sin management, and this directly, directly influences the world around us. This is what we are seeing. What then are we to say about the multitudes, right and left, along the theological spectrum today, who self-identify as Christians? while having hardly a whiff of Christ-likeness about them, and no idea that it might even be possible, who perhaps even have a settled conviction that genuine Christ-likeness 
is impossible. What is the gospel they have heard? They have heard gospels of sin management. That is the answer. I remember being in a Bible study a decade ago at the uh, church building my family and I were going to. We, so I was in this Bible study and it was, we happened to be discussing the um, letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And we got to the section of that letter where Paul talks about the qualifications for elders and he lists all of these character traits. And I'm a young 20 in my, in my early twenties and I'm the youngest man in this room by 30 years. And all these guys are reading these qualifications and these are just qualifications of character. You can all read them, go to, go to Paul's letter to Timothy and understand it says the qualifications for elders or overseers. And these men, one of them stops the Bible study and he says, I, like, I don't see anybody who meets these qualifications. And then he happens to point out, he's like, well, so in this particular denomination, he's like, so in order to be an elder in this denomination, you have to have a master's degree in divinity and you have to have all of these theological degrees. He's pointing all these things out and he says, I, that, that I don't see any of like theological degree qualifications inside this scripture that Paul wrote to Timothy. And the, uh, the, 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 the man who was leading the Bible study, he said, oh, well, you know, um, you know, this letter was written for like that time, you know, but things have changed. That was his explanation. Things have changed. And then goes like, well, you know, I've seen guys with theological degrees and PhDs who are elders in this denomination who are, you know, have train wrecks of marriages and they're, they're sleeping with their secretaries. And it's like, you know, they're, um, uh, they're, they're siphoning money <laughs> from the, the budget of the church and all of these different things, but yet we are to consider them elders and their character has nothing to do with it. The, the man who was teaching the, the uh, Bible study was cornered by this and he had no explanation. The only, the best thing that he could come up with was, well, you know, things have changed. Like somehow the qualifications for elders in the first century church have nothing to do with the day. Like that's an unreasonable expectation to think that men can have this kind of character. And I remember thinking, holy moly, like this, I, I didn't understand what, why that was the explanation. Everybody just sort of accepted it and we moved on. That character was not going to change. And it, it baffled me, but this response is uh, the response of that Bible study leader. It's a direct consequence of believing 
in these gospels of sin management. Faith has been completely disconnected from life. You know, um, saving faith is one that trusts in the arrangement God made with mankind through Jesus for remission of sins. And if we trust this arrangement, sin guilt is removed and we are allowed to enter heaven when we die. So through the teaching and preaching of gospels of sin management, we have developed an understanding of commitment to Jesus Christ that does not break through to his living presence in our lives. We've been temporarily marooned with no help in a world full of problems. We have been left alone to deal with our own psychological, emotional, relational, political, and social problems. But you know what? We're forgiven. You know what else? When we die, we're going to go to heaven. We're left alone. We have all these issues. And there's nothing we can do about that. But by God, we're going to go to heaven when we die. That is the current state of things. And that is the first reason why the world is the way that it is. Reason number two for why things aren't going too well on the earth, Willard gives in chapter two of Divine Conspiracy, is that uh, Jesus is absent as our teacher. He actually poses a really good question. So I'm going to pose it to everybody else out there. Where do you spontaneously look for information on how to live? That's the question. Willard says, where we spontaneously look for information on how to live shows how we truly feel and who we really have confidence in. And nothing more forcibly demonstrates the extent to which we automatically assume the irrelevance of Jesus as teacher for our real lives than where we spontaneously look for information on how to live. We are ready to believe that the latest studies have more to teach us about love and sex than he does. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. You can read in the book. Um, everything, you know. Everybody else has an answer. And we automatically assume the irrelevance of Jesus as teacher in our real life, in our daily existence, by how and where we go to find information for how to live. We don't even, I mean, we don't even consider Jesus as a viable um, option, you know? The disappearance of Jesus' teacher explains why today in Christian churches of whatever leaning, little effort is made to teach people to do what he did and taught. We do not seriously consider Jesus as our teacher on how to live. Hence, we cannot think of ourselves in our moment-to-moment -moment existence as his students or disciples. Did you get that? We do not cons seriously consider Jesus as our teacher on how to live. Hence, we cannot, meaning it is impossible. We cannot think of ourselves in our moment-to-moment -moment existence as his students or his disciples. And, and this was the offer he gave. Follow me. 
Be my disciple. Follow me. So, we turn to popular speakers and writers. Some are Christians and some are not. Whoever happens to be writing books and running talk shows and seminars on the matters that concern us. This is how we find our information for life. We go everywhere else but Jesus. This is the second problem. And the, the second explanation Willard gives for why the world is the way it is, why professing Christians' lives look the way they look, why there's no distinguishable difference at all, why faith is disconnected from life, is because we don't consider Jesus our teacher on how to live. Now, this being the case, it is not surprising to see what we see today. Suicide, divorce, hatred, violence, adultery, depression, illness, on and on and on. Does it shock you? If Jesus isn't our teacher, if we have no direct connection to him for our daily life, our moment-to-moment existence has nothing to do with him. We're spontaneously looking for information on how to live everywhere else but him. It makes complete sense to me. It's not surprising. All we have heard proclaimed and taught is a gospel for death or for social action. There is no gospel for human life and Christian discipleship. The resources of God's kingdom remain detached from human life. The souls of human beings are left to shrivel and die on the plains of life because they are not introduced into the environment for which they were made, the living kingdom of eternal life. Willard says serious difficulties currently bar people of good intent from an effectual understanding of Jesus' gospel for life and discipleship in his kingdom. To counteract this, we must develop a straightforward presentation in word and life of the reality of life now under God's rule through reliance upon the word and person of Jesus. In this way, we can learn from him how to live our lives as he would live them if we, if he were we. We can enter his eternal kind of life now and the serious difficulties that are barring people from good, of good intent from an effectual understanding of Jesus' gospel for life and discipleship are gospels of sin management and the fact that he's Jesus is absent from our lives as teacher. Now, Willard asks, he asks this, and this is where we're going to end, okay? I know this has been heavy. Um, in fact, I'm, this is Philip. I'm finishing up the podcast today because uh, Terrell had to leave and this was going a little bit long, but, you know, we need to, this is important. Um, so that we can move on. But this is what Willard says, okay? The real question we should ask ourselves is whether God would establish a barcode type of arrangement. Can we seriously believe that God would establish a plan for us that essentially bypasses the awesome needs of present human life and leaves character untouched? Would he leave us 
here alone with no help. No. No, no, no. He doesn't leave us alone. In fact, the entire biblical tradition from the beginning to the end is one of intimate involvement of God in human life. Jesus himself taught that forgiveness, heaven, and salvation come as the natural fruit of discipleship and trust in him. The kingdom of God, the eternal kind of life, is to be the target of our life here and now. This is the faith of Abraham and the saints of old. Abraham trusted God not just for guilt removal, but for things involved in his earthly existence. He believed that God would interact with him now, just as those who gathered around Jesus did. Make no mistake, the people who followed Jesus followed him because they were experiencing God's direct interaction with their daily life through Jesus. The kingdom of God was at hand for them through Jesus. And like we said in the, the podcast before, this it's no different. It's no different for us today because Jesus is alive right now, just like he was alive in first century Palestine, doing the things he was doing, preaching the things he was preaching, offering the things he was offering. He's with us today. In the face of such faith, God declared Abraham to be righteous. <laughs> now here's the good news, okay? We hinted at it earlier, but now, now is the time to bring this in, okay? Certainly, forgiveness and reconciliation are essential to any relationship where there has been offense, and also between us and God. We cannot pass into a new life from above without forgiveness. Certainly it is Christ who made possible such a, tra a transition, including forgiveness, through his life and his death. We must be reconciled to God and he to us if we are going to have a life together. And this is what Willard says, but such a reconciliation involves far more than the forgiveness of our sins or a clearing of the ledger. And the faith and salvation which Jesus speaks obviously is a much more positive reality than mere reconciliation. The stories of Abraham and other biblical characters beautifully illustrate this. To trust the real person Jesus is to have confidence in him in every dimension of our real life. To believe that he is right about and adequate to everything. That's saving faith. Do you believe that? If we are able to trust Jesus for the next life, don't you think we're able to trust him for this one too? So this is a question. If we're able to trust Jesus for the next life, surely we're able to trust him for this one. The gospel is not merely forgiveness. It's not merely social justice. It involves trusting in Jesus 
and having confidence in Jesus to be with us in every dimension of our real life. And we must believe that he is right about and adequate to everything. Everything. That's the gospel. And don't let sin management deceive you anymore. Jesus is alive right now, and he loves you, and he's available to you, just like he was available to those in first century Palestine who walked beside him. The kingdom of God is at hand now. By his Holy Spirit, he is transforming our lives now. So to end the podcast this week, and to move on to chapter 3, let's put aside all of the well-intentioned misinformation and myths about particles and progress and begin to trust Jesus for all of our personal needs. He is our living Savior and our living teacher. That's awesome. Yeah. Chapter 2, this is Philip wrapping it up. We'll get back to... uh, to more DC talk next time. Divine conspiracy. Next chapter is chapter three. What Jesus knew, our God bathed world. That's what we're going to talk about next. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.